morning, church family. Well, what an honor it is to be up here, to be in front of you, and to deliver a message. Thank you for all that have come today, and thank you for all that are watching on YouTube. And as I get myself set up here, I wanted to share what God did to me this morning to show encouragement for me to stand in front of you all and deliver this message. My sister, Kathy, and some of you will understand the significance of this a little bit later in the sermon, but for the very first time, and it is a completely out of the blue thing, she texted me this morning, happy Sabbath. That is God leading in my life, encouraging me and letting me know that he is with me today. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. I praise and worship you, and I stand up here only by the power that you have given me and the strength and the courage that you instill. Let my words be heard, not through my voice, but in fact, through the shining light that you give through me. Father, let me be in the shadow, just a narrative, as I share my story, my journey, and how you have saved my life. For I pray for this through your son, Jesus' name. Amen. I believe when God calls you into action, the answer is, here am I. Which is why I stand before you today. But why give my testimony why divulge the gory details of my past life? In Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White says, the Christian should often review his past life and recall with gratitude the precious deliverances that God has wrought for him, supporting him in trial, opening ways before him when all seemed dark and forbidding, refreshing him when ready to faint, he should recognize all of them as evidences of the watch care of heavenly angels in view of these in view of these innumerable blessings he should often ask with a subdued and grateful heart what shall i render unto the lord for all his benefits toward me i was born on may 5th 1971 in erie pennsylvania as a third child to my father dick jackson and a first and only child to my mother sally my dad was a career-oriented or, career provider. We were always financially comfortable, but he was never really present in my life. He was gentle, loving, kind, and a unique, had a unique sense of humor. Most people instantly enjoyed his company. He was a great tennis player, and he loved his Cleveland Browns. My mother was a stay-at-home wife. She was a talented singer who had her own vinyl record at age five and sang professionally before meeting my dad. She loves horses and animals, landscaping, gardening, softball, and tennis. She also suffered greatly from her childhood trauma, growing up in poverty with a violent alcoholic father. She had a lifetime of sorrows that she would ultimately take out on me. I knew myself as only child, 
at least until age 10, when I came across portraits of Kathy and Chuck in our home library. When I asked my mother about them, the answer, without making any eye contact to me, was those are your father's other children. I knew by her tone not to go any further. I put the portraits away and never asked again. It would be late in my teens when I finally met them for the first time. The first 18 years of my life were unstable and uprooted. I moved around every couple of years or so. No, not an army brat, just an overly ambitious dad with a highly unique engineering skill set in the field of material handling and manufacturing. I attended seven different schools. My mother and I were often left behind as my dad moved to the next state with the next job, sometimes for six months or more alone together, although he'd come home every other weekend until either I was done with school or the house sold. I had no long-standing friendships, no supportive network, no one to trust, no feelings of safety. I was blessed with a brilliant intellect, a tender heart, a friendly nature, strong will and athletic tendency, along with a love of the outdoors and animals. I loved God's world, although I did not know him at all. And how could I after what he had let happen to my mother and then to me? After enduring years of her own torture at the hands of her father, she graduated high school and went into the convent. Yes, my mother was a Catholic nun for seven years of her life until one day they just asked her to leave. She just didn't fit the mold, and I believe she blamed God for this. So although I was told I was Catholic, we never practiced. All I knew about God was a loose interpretation of the Ten Commandments. I was baptized, went through First Communion, and that's when it stopped. After fourth grade, I didn't go any further. I really only knew of God, but he knew me and every hair on my head. Now, before I go on, I would like you to keep in mind the following. Ellen White in Desire of Ages tells us God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. I feared my mother, not knowing from one day to the next what she may do to me. Her most frequently used quotes included, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. She owned more than one shotgun, used them, and not always appropriately. If you don't stop crying, I will give you something to cry about. She favored the wooden spoon as a tool of terror and discipline. Now, please understand, I share the following only to set the stage and will minimize the actual events of emotional and physical trauma she delivered over the years. She is not the villain of this story. She is a victim of the enemy. She did not have the support she needed to raise a child, mostly on her own, with her psychological deficiencies. Around age five or six, I remember contemplating how to escape her. 
hiding in a neighbor's farm's broder box where the newly hatched baby chicks were kept warm and large enough for a small child to fit. I could hear people calling, searching for me, and I tried to imagine how I could survive on my own once they stopped calling my name. But I was found. First thoughts of self-harm came around age nine while attending Catholic school. I dreamed about climbing up high on the schoolyard swings and diving to the ground. During the weekly confessions, I would sit and cry the whole entire time, feeling so guilty for being such a rotten child. I was taught to love God. I was not taught to love God or myself, but I now know God still loved me. Age 12, my mother tried to cure me of a suicidal talk by taking me out to a tree in our yard to teach me a lesson. Grabbing a long rope along the way, she tied a noose on one end and threw the other end over a sturdy branch. Standing me up on a chair under that branch, she tightened the noose around my neck, gave me the other end of the rope, and yelled, jump. Then she laughed as I stood there sobbing, saying something like she knew I couldn't do it, and walked away and left me there. Traumatic events got more dramatic, and I cannot even bring myself to share any more of the periodic terrors I experienced. Mostly each year, I just grew more damaged, more alone, and more disturbed. Once I tried to reach out to a guidance counselor, but what I shared with her concerned her so much, she called in my parents. That evening, I was severely punished, and my mother told me never to talk about what happens at home ever again. So I kept it all in and was isolated. By my senior year in high school, I had been actively practicing self-mutilation, primarily cutting. Not sure why I was doing it, but very good at hiding it. I always wondered if I could cut far enough. However, my previous Catholic experience would remind me that I would end up in purgatory if I killed myself. Through everything, I still had a sense of keeping commandments of God, even when I didn't understand them. Driving, along with my first job in a movie theater, gave me freedom. The last showdown before I left the house came right after I graduated high school. It was morning. She entered my room in a fury, yelling for me to get out of bed and accusing me of coming home drunk the night before after being out with friends. When she refused to believe me that I had not been drinking, and out of frustration, I finally told her to go to hell. She stopped and told me to repeat, and I defiantly did. She told me to find a ride to work that day and then just left my room. When I arrived home from work, my car was gone, my freedom gone. My dad had picked me up and coached me for the 20-minute ride home on how to apologize to her and told me not to worry about the car, but to stay the course we discussed. I went in and recited my apology with tears, and then she had a planned speech of her own. She basically disowned me, told me I was dead to her, and that I would never see my car again. My dad gently encouraged me to go to my room, and I could hear them talking through the heat vents. I heard her say the most unflattering things about me as a spoiled brat, an ungrateful chatter, that she hated me. 
three straight weeks, she completely ignored that I existed. I would talk to her. She remained silent or left the room. I would pick flowers for her. She would throw them away. I gave up. I defeated and broken. Then one day she decided it was all over, accepted me back with her open arms and returned my car. Well, the damage for me was now permanent. I had no desire to reconcile, and I had a fully paid ticket out of that house. I was on my way to college. I had been accepted to two schools within the State University New York system, Potsdam, which was four hours away, or Brockport, which was four minutes away. The only reason I chose Potsdam, it was a full escape route from my mother. After I left home, she eventually left my father, so I would never have to see her again. Out on my own for the first time, I indulged in many distractions offered by campus life and studied only enough to keep my GPA just high enough so that I could play collegiate volleyball. See, I was introduced to this sport when I was 12, and I excelled in it. All conference team, all state team, I was decorated with awards in this sport, and I still love it to this day. And I was on a team, kind of like a family. There were two universities in Potsdam, one private, one state. Fraternity and sorority houses were abundant, and I was instantly entranced by the thought of being part of a sisterhood, a family. I signed up, pledged for eight weeks, endured the hazing, and was welcomed in. The next four and a half years were full of frat boys, booze, drugs, lewd behavior, but the sisterhood part never did fit because of my inability to maintain healthy relationships. However, through all that distraction, I successfully graduated college with two degrees, that bright intellect. They were in industrial labor relations and psychology. I moved to Brunswick with my college sweetheart, Paul, with talk of marriage, which never came to be. I have been on my own ever since I was 25 and never stayed in one place too long, moving every couple of years still. I started a career in human resources and was back on, and was on a bright track even ended up working in the material handling company, my dad's area of expertise. I was the apple of his eye. He was so proud of me. He doted on me. I really knew love only through him. I had continued my silence and complete disconnection from my mother. My dad was able to reunite with Kathy and Chuck and spent 10 years rebuilding their relationships that my mother had prevented when I was growing up. I loved my dad more than anyone else, so when he died suddenly of a heart attack at age 69, I was 29. I thought I was completely alone in the world without any family. My mother did attend the funeral. I even thought there may be a new beginning, but that hope was crushed by her vindictiveness. But Kathy, strong in her own family values, made it a point to include me as part of her family even to this day, but she lives nine hours away. My adult years can be summed up in three verses. The works of the flesh. 
Now, I don't need to go through this list with you. I know we're, we're all pretty familiar with what this means. But I confess to you, every one of these applied, even murder. For wasn't I slowly murdering myself with the behaviors that I was keeping? I was as far from God as one could get. After many broken relationships, the loss of that great job, and eight months of unemployment, I started working at Unum, a large insurance company in Portland, and I have been there for almost 20 years. Finally, some stability. Or was it divine intervention? There was an important relationship. It was there that a very important relationship was discovered. It was a friendly coworker that invited me for coffee one day and for years would meet and talk with me. His name is Jeff Chase, a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist. I wasn't aware of his religious background. He was just a friend that I could share with. He didn't judge or reprimand my lifestyle. He was my first true friend, promised me he would always be one, and has kept that promise now for 13 years. The works of the flesh deteriorated me over the decades. From 19 and on, I was under the care of mental health professionals diagnosing all kinds of psychological terms. Major depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, PTSD, bipolar, and they heavily medicated me with all kinds of pharmaceutical pills. It didn't stop me from self-medicating, self-harming, self-destructive behaviors that damaged relationships, I remember a time where every Saturday I refused to get out of bed and slept each one of them away. Was that a prelude? There were times I could feel something was missing and considered church, even visited a few, but wasn't convinced it was for me. Or was I just unwilling to listen to his still small voice? Although the diagnosis seemed to fit, the corresponding therapies for each were not working. I had been out of work on a leave of absence from Unum for a second time from what you may call a nervous breakdown. Then finally, the therapist I was seeing in 2014 nailed it. Borderline personality disorder. As I read through the descriptions that you see on the screen, I was amazed that I finally had a diagnosis and an understanding of what happened to me it all finally made sense. The solution is called dialectical behavioral therapy and it encompassed mindfulness, stress, distress tolerance, emotional regulation, interpersonal effectiveness. It was a year-long intensive outpatient program with both individual and group therapies. Finally, I had tools that were not provided to me while growing up to appropriately manage my life and relationships. I graduated the program early, again, bright intellect. <laughs> and although it was rather secular in nature, I associated a lot of religious aspects. There was the serenity prayer that we spoke and group discussions about God. Was the Holy Spirit probing me? My conversations with Jeff started to focus more on questions I had about religion God and things happening around the world. He told me about eternal life with God, but I didn't want that. 
Who wanted to live this life forever? And I told him with no uncertainty that I would never join a church. God patiently waited for me. Now I heard Jeff talk for years about his talent and love of singing. I love to sing too, so one day he decided to give me a ticket. For those of you who don't know or haven't heard of this, The Greatest Gift is a musical adaptation of the birth of our Savior put on by the Brunswick Seventh-day Adventist Church in December's as a Christmas message for our community. Ellen White said in Steps to Christ, he desires to restore you to himself, to see his own purity and holiness reflected in you. And if you would but yield yourself to him, he that hath begun a good work in you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. That night, I unknowingly sat in an audience with a savior I had never really known. My heart was opened, my spirit was awakened, and I began to want to learn more. My walk with Jesus began with this simple gift, and he has led me from a world full of darkness and despair with the promises of his love. I told Jeff I wanted to come back to church. He told me services were on Saturdays. Not caring why, I said perfect because Sundays were for my volleyball and my schedule was wide open for Sabbath. So I came back and I stayed. <laughs> Aside from enriching my life by studying and reading the Bible, I found that my worldly indulgences were not only harmful to my health, but were an abomination to God. First Corinthians tells us or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I attended seminars and learned the health principles. Pure air, sun life, Abstent, can you believe this lady had a third grade education? Rest, exercise, proper diet and use of water, trust in divine power. These are the true remedies. Every person should have knowledge of nature's remedial agencies and how to apply them. It is essential both to understand the principles involved in treatment of the sick and to have a practical training that will enable one rightly to use this knowledge, we are told in the ministry of healing. I made changes to my diets and a lifestyle as a result. I was even able to eliminate all pharmaceutical, medicinal, and recreational drugs. God transformed me into a sober, strong, responsible, and full of life woman who has been changed both in body and spirit. I was baptized on June 24th, 2017. I moved back to Brunswick into a new life and a new family. One other important thing about my previous life, I was horrible at managing my money. 
Always in credit card debt, extending out my car loan, trying to consolidate, living paycheck to paycheck. I was over $15,000 in debt when I started attending church, when I learned about tithe. Proverbs tells us, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. The text Jeff sent me to, Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and there may be, that there may be food in my house and try me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room, a room enough to receive it. I would like to point out a couple of points in this verse because here is where my faith was strengthened. He says, try me now in this. The King James Version says, prove. But if we look in the concordance, what he's saying is, test me, put me on trial. This is the only place I can find in the Bible where he actually challenges us to do this. And then also pour out. If you look that up, it means empty. He is not just giving you a little bit or just enough. He is emptying out in honor of your challenge to him. So, challenge accepted. First, I put some cash in the plate long before I was baptized. I was tithing. Then I realized tithe means tenth. So, 10% of my net income. But then later realized it should be gross. Isn't God so gentle, loving, and patient? We had a Sabbath school quarterly on stewardship and an aha moment, everything is God's. He provides for me and wants me to manage it for his good work. The interesting thing of it all, after I started tithing, I was still able to meet my financial obligations even though my income didn't change. I encourage you to test God in this and I guarantee you too will be blessed. From there, my financial situation changed. God blessed my faithful tithing, opening up opportunities, even eliminating a couple of big bills for me. I got a second job in nine months, worked down almost all of that $15,000 debt, and he had already prepared me for a future surprise, medical expenses. It was October 2019 when I received a diagnosis no one wants to hear breast cancer, and the most lethal type, triple negative. A PET scan showed it had spread to at least two of my lymph nodes. I turned to God, prayed for healing, but I also prayed that he would use my experience to help and bless others. I was thankful for the opportunity he allowed for me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my Lord, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
every, in everything, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thanks for cancer? The blessings I received along the way were overwhelming. An integrative medicine approach helped me, helped me tolerate the conventional treatments very well. I was able to continue working full-time. I focused on natural remedies and declined any pharmaceuticals offered to combat side effects of chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation. I followed the health principles and found my strength in trusting God. He knew what I would be facing before I ever came to the church. He blessed me with a new family, a strong medical team, and through them supported me during my cancer journey, whether it was rides to treatments, food delivery, and many, many prayers. Then the news came. I had a complete response to treatment, no evidence of cancer. All went well for about a year. I successfully reached a fitness challenge I made to myself and to a friend during my chemotherapy time. And with the help of my dearest friends, I ran my first 5K. Then events started to happen. I started missing keys on the right side while I was typing for work. I had weird, periodic electrical spasms up and down my right side, pressure in my head when I stood up, even a couple of very severe migraines. The spasms, later identified as seizures, grew more intense as the nerves got more damaged. I started having trouble with balance and walking. The breast cancer had metastasized. The tumor was the size of a golf ball. The edema was serious. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Hospitalization and surgery were immediately needed. And after the initial shock and panic subsided, I was admitted into the emergency department at Maine Medical Center. Unable to have anyone come in with me due to COVID, Jesus did not leave me alone. His promises are true. He sheltered me with an indescribable peace and calm. He used this opportunity for me to minister. I went and prayed with a woman who sat alone crying. I encouraged a man who had recently started going to the Westbrook Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was joyful for the Lord's trust in me. He honored me with the best brain surgeon and nursing staff. For the week I was there, I spoke of the Sabbath to nurses. I read my Bible. I prayed for other patients as I would walk around the floor I was on. And I even att attended Sabbath services via Zoom. I prayed aloud in front of the whole surgical team before I went under. Surgery was a success. He felt that he had got it all. The experience was amazing. After, my sister Kathy came to stay with me for a week while I recovered. 
and she was introduced to my life and my walk with God. My dear girlfriends surprised me with a sparkling clean apartment. My church family outpoured love with cards and flowers. I felt strength, support, and courage truly blessed. This time the Lord humbled me and took away my ability to work. He took away my ability to drive. So I had to rely on others he would send to me. See, after the breast cancer, I slipped a little away from him, back to life. Will he ever stop pursuing me? So I used this time to deepen my relationship with him and others, rebuild my body, and even walked another 5K. After the breast cancer, I found an abundance of information on how conventional cancer treatments don't cure cancer. I had been researching and learning and seeing many testimonies on how others healed from cancer naturally through diet and alternative therapies. I had, an in, I had the integrative methods available. I have a primary Adventist physician who is supporting the health message. And through prayer, I came to the decision to decline any further conventional treatments and use natural methods to manage any cancer that may still be there. However, this approach is not covered under insurance, and I wouldn't have enough money on my own. So I turned to God again in prayer and claimed. Isaiah 54.5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. I called upon my husband, saying, I need help. And he poured out all I needed. I have not gone without anything, period. Even when my income from work was decreased. Then, two months later, on November 7th, after a fast decline, I could no longer walk without assistance. Because of how aggressive the cancer was presenting, I was told I would have six weeks to live without another surgery. And this time I would have to agree to radiation follow-up. I wasn't ready to die, so I accepted. This time my hospital experience and recovery were much tougher. I had been knocked down, but God kept his promises to me and continued to take care of me. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I had to wait four weeks to allow the scar to heal. And right before mapping for the radiation, I had another MRI 
Sorry, no picture this time. But it had grown back a third tumor, almost to the original size of the first. I had three rounds of radiation in under two weeks at the end of December, and then waited and prayed many prayers. The follow-up MRI was on January 14th, and praise God, to everyone's amazement, the tumor was gone. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, God has provided divine assistance for all the emergencies to which our human resources are unequal. He gives the Holy Spirit to help in every strait to strengthen our hope and assurance, to illuminate our minds and purify our hearts. He provides opportunities and opens channels of working. If his people are watching the indications of his providence, and are ready to cooperate with him, they will see mighty results. However, after meeting with my team of oncologists, consisting of the president of the New England Cancer Specialists, a Dana-Farber specialty oncologist, and a neuro-oncologist, I was offered prophylactic chemotherapy but only to extend my life for a few more months. They have given me a life expectancy of under one year. I went to my knees and prayed for more guidance. The Lord answered with Bible text and inspired writings to support the simple, natural remedies I was using and to trust in his plan. Ellen Wright writes in Call to Medical Evangelism. Many are expected that God would keep them from sickness merely because they ask him to do so, but God did not regard their prayers because their faith was not made perfect by works. God will not work a miracle to keep from those from sickness who have no care for themselves, but are continually violating the laws of health and making no efforts to prevent disease. When we do all we can on our part to have health, then we may expect that the blessed results will follow. And we can ask God in faith to bless our efforts for preservation of health. He will then answer our prayer if his name can be glorified thereby. But let all understand that they have a work to do. God will not work in miraculous manner to preserve the health of persons who are taking a sure course to make themselves sick by careless inattention to the laws of health. So I declined any further chemotherapy. And since the first surgery, I have worked so hard to clean my body I have had help from church family to provide me with clean food. I did not feel adding poison into my body now was the solution. God knows my beginning from end. There is already an expiration date, and he has impressed upon me to stay the course. My trust is in God whatever may come, for he has done a work of salvation in me. 
Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being such more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom ye have not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, the full glory, receiving the end of your, your faith, the salvation of your souls. So am I healed or am I saved? My follow-up MRI was about a month ago. And? the cancer grows again. This time it's the size of a main blueberry, so much slower growing than before. And a full body CT scan shows no evidence of cancer anywhere else in my body. I believe this is God honoring the health plan I am following for his glory and that he has called me to share. Yesterday was my fourth out of 10 days of another round of radiation. Unlike chemotherapy that poisons the entire body and may or may not cross the blood-brain barrier after, the precise direct hit of fire to the source feels like a wiser choice. Perhaps, if it is his will, the fire will come directly from him to heal for his glory. If not, I trust I'm saved. Amen. Brothers and sisters, my dear family, we are all living at the end of time. For the trials that we will face, we need to prepare. Paul writes to us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The majority of my life, previously, I walked on a tightrope, recklessly walking without a safety net. Then I walked through the doors of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and the Lord changed that rope to a plank and surrounded me with amazing people to keep me steady. Now I have come to the end, and that plank before me has disappeared. But now, 
what I see is Jesus. Praise God, I am going home. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.com.